You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life, reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> but what if I really, really, really want it, right? So the reason that thing is so funny, it's like, it's a hilarious video, but the reason it's so funny is because it strikes a chord, right? Like a lot of us can relate. We're like, eh, guilty, been there, done that, right? Am I the only one? Whew, that was embarrassing for a minute. Um, the reality is we all do that. We've all wrestled with that kind of stuff, and so it's fun to make fun of it. Um, the, the thing is, it's easy to do that. It's easy to justify and make excuses and to try and think about like why it would make sense and all that good stuff, and we've all done it. Um, we've all heard the definition of insanity, right? Supposedly. You do the same thing over and over and expect different results, right? Unfortunately, it seems like that's what happens a lot in our finances. We do the same thing over and over and over, and we hope that somehow we'll have different results, right? We, we don't really make a lot of plans, and we don't put a lot of effort and energy in, and we sort of just spend and hope that at the end of the month, somehow there's more money than there is month left before the next check comes in, right? And we're, and we're just sort of scraping and scrounging and getting by a lot of times and going through different circumstances with our finances. And unfortunately, with debt and poor money management and dealing with issues like that, it just creates a lot of stress in your life. It creates this heavy load that you're carrying, these worries and anxieties. It impacts your relationship with your spouse, with your kids, with other family members. It takes away your motivation to go to work, like you start to feel like all the work you're going to do isn't going to matter anyways, because no matter what, you're still going to be in this hole, right? You start to paint a picture for yourself of this idea that no matter how hard you try, it's never going to get any better. I don't know if you're there right now, but I bet probably everybody can relate that at some time in their life, they've wrestled with managing money, maybe not so well, okay? So in this series we're going to get into talking about money, right? And we're going to talk about debt and bondage and making good godly decisions with our finances and what does that look like and what does God's word have to say about it. But one of the things that happens whenever the church talks about money is inevitably it's this weird thing where people are like, um, oh man, I mean, it's just like the, it's the prosperity gospel. Here it comes, right? You're just you're talking about money because you guys just want to have more money in the church, and that it just couldn't be further from the truth for us as a church. We're talking about money because we love you and we care about you, and we know that it is a real, legitimate issue in the lives of people in our congregation to understand money and to manage it and to steward God's uh, resources and money well instead of letting them manage us. We also talk about it because giving matters to you and your relationship with God, and it matters to us as a church. I mean, I'll just kind of take the pink elephant out of the room, right? Here's the truth. We absolutely hope that your giving increases as you become more knowledgeable and understand what God's word says, and God changes your heart about giving and tithing and managing your finances well. We hope that giving increases. Not because we're like, oh, we want to be known as the richest church. <laughs> Whatever. Not at all. Not because I'm going to get more money out of it. That's not how it works at all. 
We care that giving increases. We care that people manage God's money and steward it well because it takes money and it takes resources to do ministry in this community that we're in. And we care about the community that we're in. We care about the people in our congregation. It takes money to serve and help and support the people in our own congregation. Now, I'm guessing probably very few people in our congregation know what I'm about to tell you. Probably very few people in our congregation other than the handful that serve in this ministry realize that each and every month in Pullman, not the whole church at large, not the Moscow campus, but for us here in Pullman, to do benevolence, to meet the needs of people within our own church, and to meet the needs of lost and hurting people in our community that need help when they're in a pinch with an electrical bill or that got over their head and it's a way for us to serve them and meet them and connect with them by serving them financially in a way that helps us build relationship and connect with them, right? Do you know what we have a month to do that? $400. I don't know if any of you have figured out how far $400 goes. Unfortunately, nowadays, it goes away really quick. And so to, to meet the needs of the, the folks in our church, we've got 400 bucks. So yeah, I hope our giving increases. It matters. I hope our giving increases and I, I hope people are more bought in to managing God's money well because one day, Pullman, I hope we have a building. One day I hope we have a facility in this town that is a beacon of light in this community that has like basketball courts and little kids' soccer fields and is something that is not a monument of a church, but it is a beacon of light and hope for the community where people who know nothing about Christ know everything about our church because we built something that serves them and serves this community and also happens to work as a church. It's not going to happen by accident. It's not going to happen with a tiny percentage of people supporting and giving. It's an all-in kind of thing for us to continue to grow and reach and serve people in our town, right? The reality is, though, for a lot of people, they're strained financially. They're strapped financially. They're in debt. They've made bad decisions. I've done it a bunch myself over the years and dug myself out of holes that were no fun to dig out of. And our hope and goal is that through this series, we will help come alongside you and equip you and inspire you and help you listen to God and God's word so that you can actually understand what it's like to have financial freedom. That's what we're gonna be doing this series. And as we're gonna do it, we're gonna dig into God's word we're going to see what God's word has to say about it. And we're going to learn some stuff along the way. We're going to learn a lot about bondage and wise choices and understanding God's word. But the very first thing we're going to camp out on today is our attitude. Okay? Our attitude about finances is going to determine whether or not we can give. Our attitude is so important and it's going to have a huge impact on whether or not we give. In this series, we're using uh, some material that the ABC's guys put together. Um, it's super solid material. It's done really well. And um, 
It's really good stuff, so I'm going to try and stick really close to my notes so that I don't ad lib and go on rabbit trails, right? But it's also really important in this series that everybody in our church is in a care group. We want each and every person all the time. We want, that's not a new thing. We always want every single person that comes on Sunday morning to also be in a care group. That would be our dream, that it would be super unusual. Like, you've been here a week? Okay, you're off the hook. Next week, you need to be in a care group. Like, we want people in care groups, okay? And in this series in particular, we've got material that is going to help you go through this with your care group to actually not just hear about it, but dialogue and discuss it and process it with people that you trust and care about, and they care about you. So care groups, make sure that you're jumping online. Uh, For our care group leaders... Uh, when you go to the website and there's a spot there, if you're a care group leader, you know what I'm talking about. There's a little place where you go to care groups and then the facilitator's toolbox on the website. And it's where you get your care group curriculum you can print out each and every week. There's also on the website, right in that same spot, a podcast every week. You don't have to be a care group leader. Everybody can look at the care group lesson. Everybody can listen to the podcast. It's not a top secret thing. Each and every week, make sure you're listening to that little podcast. It's like three to five minutes, and then your care group curriculum is there. If you will listen to that and review the curriculum, you're going to be prepared to have an awesome, effective care group discussion and time with your folks, okay? Make sense? Cool. So as we dig into God's Word today, we're going to jump into uh, Chronicles, okay? We're going to jump into First Chronicles 29, and this is what's going on here, okay? David is... Uh, in a spot where he wants to build God a house. The fighting is over, the wars are done, and David wants to build God a house. He, he goes to God and he's like, it's not fair that I live in a house and you live in a tent. And God's like, you're right. It's not. But I don't need a house. And the problem with David is that he, it's, he's not so concerned that God needs a house necessarily, What's bothering him is that he just feels weird that he lives in a house, something nicer than his God lives in. And he's like, God, we need to build you a house. And God's like, okay, I'll let you build me a house. He's like, I'll let you build me a house, but you can't do it because you've got too much blood on your hands. So you're going to have to pass the task to your son Solomon. Solomon can build me a house, but you can't do it. And so there's this transition where David starts to gather all of the supplies and the resources and everything that's needed to build the the temple. And he's in a transition of transferring over um, to Solomon the project and his kingship to become king and all that stuff. And when this transition is happening is when we pick up in this story uh, here in Chronicles. Okay, so we're going to just jump through it here. This is what's going on. And I want you to note when we're going through this, we're going to see through this text why David is called a man after God's own heart. We're going to see what's going on with his attitude. What's in here that shows that he has an attitude that he could be called a man after God's own heart. So let's look. It's in your notes, and uh, there's going to be some extra passages in your notes that aren't going to be on screen too, but we'll go through the notes, and we'll kind of go back and forth. So uh, it says this. Therefore, David blessed the Lord in the presence of the assembly, and David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, uh, our Father, forever and ever. 
Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and the earth is yours. So how much of what is in the heavens and the earth is his? All of it, right? Do you believe that? Does your giving show it? He says, yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great, to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. But who am I, and what is my people, that we should be able to thus to offer willingly for all things come from you and of your own we have given you. David's going, who am I? Who am I that I would even be able to have the opportunity, the privilege to make an offering to you? Furthermore, who am I that I should be able to even have the blessing to give back to you what was already yours to begin with? He's got this position of very deep humility and knowing his place in the grand scheme of things. He says, for all things come from you and of your own we have given you. Like, where do all things come from? We've got to try harder. Where does everything come from? And when we give to him... What are we giving back to him? What was already his, right? It says, for we are strangers before you and sojourners as all our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow and there is no abiding. O Lord, our God, all this abundance that we have provided, uh, that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. So there's five things in here that kind of help reveal his attitude. And they're going to help us understand what it looks like to have an attitude like David to be, to be able to be called a man or a woman after God's own heart. Okay, So let's take a look at him. Let's look at the first one up there. All that in, is in the heavens and on earth is yours, right? That was David's attitude. He was like, everything belongs to you anyways, God. So he just walked up to the table with that attitude from the, to the very beginning. Everything belongs to you, God. Let's look at the next one. Both riches and honor come from you and you rule over all. Where do riches and honor come from? You sensing a pattern here? Let's look at the next one. In your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. Next one. Who am I and what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? I mean, I love David's perspective here. He's, he's not in some negotiation with God. It's not like he's going, well, I know I was, this is what the kind of the rules were, the guidelines or the expectations, but I was hoping I could get by with this. God's, you know, you know I mean, maybe we could strike a deal here and meet in the middle. No, David's just like, it's all yours to begin with. Everything comes from you. He's got this humility and this humble attitude about giving and sacrificing for God with what was already God's to begin with.
look at the last one here. Everything that we gave you was already yours. This is so important. And for some of us, it, it may be a new concept to actually like, oh, it sort of sounds like um, Sunday school when I was a kid. Like, you know, the whole earth is the Lord's and everything belongs to the Lord. It sounds like color crayons and like that's a nice easy thing to say when you're a little kid. Try really owning that and believing that now. Like, do we really believe everything is God's and belongs to him? It was his to begin with. If we really believe that, our attitude changes about money and finances and resources. I mean, if we think about it, like, not a dime in your checking account belongs to you. Like nothing that we have, you or I have, belongs to us. It's God's stuff. It's God's money. It's God's resources. I used to work for a guy a long time ago, and it always struck me as odd because he would, he would just boldly proclaim to anybody that worked for him and was ever around him in a conversation, he would always say, this is God's business and every penny that comes through it belongs to God. It was his before I got it and I need to be honest and honorable in how I steward it. And he was just like over the top in talking about how everything in his business belonged to God. And I remember thinking at the time like, man, this guy is like over the top Christian, right? Like he is out there. And now looking back, I'm like, man, he had it figured out. Like, it wasn't something he wrestled with. It wasn't a struggle. It was just something he genuinely, wholeheartedly believed. And it showed up in his attitude and how he talked about money to everybody. I'm like, man, I long to have an attitude like that. Our attitude de determines everything. Because our attitude is going to be the foundation for the, that the rest of our life is built on, right? Like you can say, well, it's, no, it's about faith. Like faith is the most important thing. And yeah, faith is important. Absolutely. But let me tell you, you can have faith in God and have a cruddy, pissy attitude. And it's a mess. Or you can have faith in God and you can have a humble attitude like David had. And you can come to the Lord with a humility and a reverence for God and his things, and it changes everything. Let's take a look at this uh, Proverbs 17.22. Uh, it says, joyful heart is good medicine, but crushed spirit, a crushed spirit dries up the bones. We've probably all been around people that uh, sort of suck the life out of a room. They're, they're the people that brighten a room by leaving it. You know some of them? If you don't, <laughs> just saying. I heard Aaron talk about this, this kind of people one time. And he said they're, they're like, they have the shop vac hose to their belly button. And they just walk around with their hose. And they're just like, <clears throat> plug into somebody. And they just literally just drain the life out of you. And then they move on to the next person. And they just drain the life out of you, right? And you're just like, ah. Don't get me. But here's the truth. 
People like that don't get that way on purpose. They don't set out to be that way. People get in situations and they behave certain ways, oftentimes because life deals some hard blows. The way they were raised, the environment they came from, things that they struggled with, abuses they've suffered. But the truth is, your attitude about these things is going to have everything to do with whether or not you actually work through them and overcome them or you don't. And likewise, our attitude about finances and money and resources is going to determine whether or not we actually have the money to give. Your attitude is everything. There's actually five levels of giving or types of givers, I guess, might be a way to say it that makes more sense to me. Five types of givers. So let's take a look at them. They're going to be up on the screens right here. The first type of giver. Oh, sorry. I jumped, I jumped ahead. Sorry. Poor person doing slides is going to hurt me. So, <laughs> first, there's five attitudes that we need to change from to, okay? And what, what, this will make sense in a second because it's sort of a weird way to say it. But there, there's an attitude that we have and we need to go from this to this new attitude, okay? Our first attitude is this. We need to switch from this attitude of I don't need a plan to if I don't follow God's plan, I don't have a prayer, we got to switch from I don't need a plan to if I don't follow God's plan, I don't have a prayer. Way more people, this is what's sad truth right here, way more people spend far more time and energy planning their vacation than they ever do working on their finances. When it comes to their finances, like when it comes to their vacation, they want it down to the wire and everything planned and detailed and they don't want to become short for anything. Heaven forbid you get there and you can't buy the tickets to Disneyland or whatever, right? Like you got to have everything dialed in so it goes perfect because you want to have this awesome, amazing time. But when it comes to your finances, you just wing it and you just hope that it all works out. And money's draining out of the bucket left and right. And it's like at the end of the month, you're like, I have no idea. I thought I had a lot more money. But somehow... I'm broke all the time. I mean, where does all my money go? I did a budget once and I was supposed to have $500 left at the end of the month, but I'm always like barely making it. What happened? Because if you don't have a plan, money has a way of finding a way out of your pockets. Let's look at the next attitude. We need to go from the attitude of what I do with my money is my business to this other attitude, like David, of what I do with God's money is God's business. Listen, if we can learn anything from David, it's this, that everything belongs to God, right? Isn't that that example he just showed us throughout this prayer? This humility that, thank you God, that I would even be considered to steward your stuff, much less give back to you from what was yours to begin with. I want to tell you a little story to kind of help illustrate this point. It's from Joshua 7. I'll try and make it quick. Um, 
In Joshua 7, what's going on is uh, a story everybody's familiar with. The Israelites, God's people, have been wandering in the desert for a long time. They cross the Jordan River and they come to Jericho. Everybody's familiar with this story, right? And they march around the city of Jericho every day for seven days, one time every day. And on the seventh day, they march around seven times. And on the end of the seventh day, they all blow their... Right. And what happens? Poof, all the walls fall down. The world's most amazing military strategy... I don't know if I would suggest it, but it's what God told them to do, and they did it. And Jericho fell, and God told them at this time, he said, this is the first city you're going to conquer in this new land you're going into, and it's mine. And you got to think for a minute, they're probably like, okay, I mean, that makes sense. Like, it's the first one, the first fruits, we're going to conquer a bunch, but so does that mean like we'll dedicate the city to you? I mean, do we put a plaque up out here that says, you know, this is what God did here? Do we build an altar? Do we offer up a bunch of the stuff? I mean, what, what do you mean? And God says, no, it's mine, and I want you to burn it. Everything. I'm like, whoa. But but what about all the money and the gold and the silver and everything, all the resources that are in there? I mean, like, we could help a lot of poor people with that. What about, what about this? What about that? Like, God, I could have paid my cell phone bill with that. I could have paid my mortgage. And the reality is we don't get to pick what we do with what is God's stuff. We just get to do what God says to do with it. Here's where the problem creeps in in this story. There's a guy named Achan, and he takes a bar of silver and a bar of gold. Now, in the grand scheme of things, relative to the whole hoard of the city and all the wealth and everything that was there, it wasn't a huge deal. It's not that it wasn't worth anything. It was. But it was one guy doing this one thing. But here's what's ha- what happens next. Uh, the Israelites go on to conquer the next city, and they actually talk about it ahead of time that they're going to go to this little nothing of a city called AI. Guess how you spell that one? Finally, a word I can get. They go to this little city, AI, and they talk about it ahead of time, like, don't send the whole army. It, it's such a puny little place, like, you're only going to need a small group to go, like this will be a piece of cake. And so they send the soldiers to AI and they go and all of a sudden they find themselves being defeated and conquered and it says in God's word that about 36 of the men were killed. That's 36 kids with no dad. Families with no leader, that's 36 wives with no husband Because of the lack of obedience of one guy. The problem is, in God's spiritual community, when one person doesn't follow through, everybody pays the price. And you may be thinking, like, that it's not a very Western or individualistic idea. And the reality is, We're not individualistic. When we become Christians, when we commit to follow Jesus, we commit to join a family, a community of brothers and sisters in Christ. And we've got to understand the weight and the significance of what it means to be rescued and redeemed by by Christ. That, That 
that we have responsibility to the family, that our actions matter. When you or I do something like this, it affects everybody. Let's go back to the attitudes, the third one. We gotta switch from there's nothing I can do to there's nothing God can't do. There's nothing God can't do. Do you believe that? Does your giving show it? This is one of those rubber meets the road type statements, right? We can say that we believe something in our head, but our actions reveal what we actually believe. Let's look at the next one. Number four. We gotta switch from giving to get something to giving for no other reason because we love God. Because when we give to get something, when we give so that we can hopefully get God's blessing in return, it's still rooted in selfishness, right? We're all familiar with this whole concept, the whole giving to get something versus giving because you just love somebody. If you're married or if you have teenagers or kids, your spouse comes to you, your kid comes to you, especially teenagers, they come to you out of the blue and they do something really nice for you or make something for you and it's just for no reason out of the blue and they hand it to you, what's the first thing you often think? What do you want? Like, I got it, what do you want? Right? But say you have a little toddler, just an innocent little toddler and they draw a picture of the family and in the family picture, the picture that they drew of you that's like really scribbly and not very good, but they put all this extra care and attention to make you look extra awesome in their drawing and they're so proud and they come and they hand it to you and they're like, here you go mom, here you go dad. And you're like, oh man, you don't think, what do you want? You think they did that because they love me. That's it. They didn't have any other motives. What would it be like for us to live that way with our finances and our resources and the money that God allows us to steward, to bring it to the Lord because we love him and we trust that he can do better or best than we could ever do with it, right? Let's keep going. Fourth one. Oh, sorry. It's a lot, it's a lot of notes, sorry. <laughs> I gotta, here's, here's my rabbit trail. Our levels of giving. In here, there are levels of giving or what we'd say levels of givers, okay? And as we're going through these, it's, kind of, it's good to go through them, but it also helps you kind of self-identify, like, where do you feel like you fit in? And it, it, it's not to call you out or raise your hand or anything like that, but it just helps you to square up with God and go, this is where I'm at, and where do you need to go from there? So let's look at the first one. The first one is a hesitant giver. They don't know if they can trust God, they don't think they can afford to give, and they can probably think of all the reasons why they don't need to give or shouldn't give. They're a hesitant giver. They're the one that's gonna have a hard time getting their wallet out of their back pocket or their deal out of their purse. I mean, it's, it's hard to give. Let's do the next one. Obedient. They're doing what they're supposed to do. The Bible says they should do it, so they do it. 
They're not really necessarily joyless, but they're not necessarily joyful, right? They're just doing it, they're doing it because they're supposed to do it out of obedience. Now, this is a good thing, obviously, but it's also an area where there's room for some maturing spiritually, right? Like as they follow God and as they learn to um, trust and follow him and understand his word and understand God's kingdom and God's kingdom resources, hopefully over time they'll become more joy and satisfaction and excitement as they give. Let's look at the next one. Abundant. Uh, they do what they're supposed to do and beyond. They bring the tithe and above that. They go beyond what's expected and it's exciting, it's exhilarating. There's an expectation that, that God can do something with what I give. Man, how awesome would it be to be a part of a, a church full of abundant givers, that that was the norm. Now, this is, here's what everybody always does when you start talking about giving and money in church. They think, well, I don't have that much. I have never said a much. I've never said it's this much money or it's this much money or it's this much money. It's a heart and an attitude thing. If you've got 500 bucks in the bank and all you can give is five and you give five, you gave as much as the guy that's got a million in the bank and he gave what he could give. It's about your attitude and the expectation and joy that you are honored and blessed to give because you can and you're obedient, right? Let's look at the last one. This is kind of the home run, the extravagant giver. They give sacrificially. They bring the tithe and an offering. They give above and beyond if needed. They look for ways to give. This is the kind of person that, that pays their tithe and they, they give offerings and support other ministries and other opportunities as they come up, uh, come up. And they also are the kind of person that might carry money around in their pocket just because they have the eyes to just watch and see, like, what is going on around them? Like, where are their needs? Where are their opportunities? It might be the, the grocery store line where the person in front of them doesn't have the money to pay the rest of their grocery bill. Or it might be they heard about someone through their care group or from someone in our church that winter gets tough and the bills go up, but the paychecks don't. And they're having a hard time keeping the lights on. And they're like, oh, I can help with that. And they're glad to do it. Let's jump back to our fifth one. Our attitude changes. We need to move from honoring God with my wealth is where I want to end up. To honoring God with my wealth is where I want to begin. Now, probably a lot of you could, like me would read that and go, well, this one, whew, there was four of them that were sort of hitting home, but this one I'm off the hook because if you've looked in my checking account, you know there's no wealth. If you've seen my wallet, you know there's no wealth. So I'm off the hook. Sorry. Here's the deal. It's about an attitude, it's not about a dollar amount. If you've got 20 bucks left at the end of the month, it's this. It's about, I wanna go from living my life to where I go, hey, I love following God and I wanna honor, I wanna get to the spot where someday I can honor God with my 20 bucks. To switching your attitude around and your different, a different way of thinking and going, I wanna start by honoring God with my 20 bucks. Where you sit down and you look at your finances and you're paying your bills and the thing that you care about first and that matters to you first is that you trust and honor God with what you have to give. And then that's the first thing that you think of, not the last thing that you think of or the thing you hope you'll be able to do one day. That you're faithful with whatever you have from the start.
I know when I was getting ready for this, I was feeling really convicted because I, we've never done the auto tithe, the auto electronic, whatever you call that, push pay thing. Um, I'm terrible about auto bills because I always forget. Um, and w- since we came to real life here, we signed up for that and started doing the auto pay. And after doing this preparation for this, I'm switching. I'm going back old school to writing a check because I pay the bills in our house every month. And I hate not writing my tithe check. I hate that I forget that I even paid tithe. Like it, it just personally bothers me. Like I want to sit down and pay my bills and know that first off and foremost, the very first thing I sit down and think about is God. And that I, I cognitively take action to put my belief into action by writing out a check or getting cash out of the bank or whatever. So I know for me, I'm switching it up. For other people, it's super convenient and it's not a check for you. But for me, it was like, I don't like that. Okay? Um, We're going to switch through some implications here in a second, but we're going to do communion. And so um, if the communion servers would get the buckets first, the buckets are going to go down the middle and then just pass them all the way out to the left and right. Please make sure all of the connection cards make it in those buckets. And if you want to give your tither offering in the bucket, you sure can. If you want to put it in the box in the back, you can. And if you want to still pay with push pay and all that stuff, that's fabulous, okay? Now, at Real Life, if you're new with us, what we do here is uh, when we come to communion is we have an open table, and that means that anybody can take communion with us. You don't have to be a member here. Anybody can take communion. And uh, if you want to celebrate with us the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, right? So once those buckets are done, they're going to pass the communion trays. Please hang on to the bread and the cup, and we'll take communion together here towards the end. All right? Okay, so on the back of your sermon notes, the very, very back, is kind of your implications, your little takeaway nuggets, your stuff to chew on. Uh, This sermon is maybe a little more different than than most. There's a lot to chew on. We've got those attitudes to reflect on kind of the levels of giving to kind of chew on and reflect on. And then we're going to go through these implications. And the thing that, in one sense, it's a little overwhelming, but in another sense, I think I know how God works. And God, is, he takes what we say and presents to you just what you need to hear. And so for somebody, maybe the, the levels of giving is the thing that really is going to sink in with you. And you're going to chew on that this week. Maybe it's the attitude that you really need to adjust. Or maybe it's one of these implications. The cool thing is, I know God is at work in the hearts of the people that are here because I know nobody is here by accident. So let's take a look at these little takeaway nuggets. God wants all of us to be extravagant givers, but we can't get there doing the same things we've always done. Right? We can't get there doing the same things we've always done. If you want God's blessing in your life, if you want God to show up in your life, try doing something different. Quit just doing the same thing you've always done, hoping somehow it'll be different. Let's look at the next one. Our attitude about giving to the Lord should be joyful and generous. It should be joyful and generous. Now, some people I've heard over the years have said, well, I know there's a part in the Bible that says, like, if you're not a joyful giver, you shouldn't give. 
and they kind of hold it up like their badge of honor. Like, I found the spot that says if I'm not happy about giving, I don't have to give. So that means I shouldn't give, right? Because it doesn't make me happy when I give. <laughs> and it's sort of like, whew, they, they hold it up like they got a gold star, get out of jail free card. Unfortunately, they need to go back and read the passage. That's not what it means. Read the passage. It's not about whether you'll give or whether you won't give. You'll give. It's about God talking about the fact that he loves a joyful, cheerful giver. If you have a hard time having joy and giving to the Lord, if it really bothers you, then I got to tell you, you have no idea what it's like to be a slave in Egypt. It was through God and God alone that they were redeemed from Egypt, that we are redeemed from the slavery that we come from. If we actually knew what it meant to be freed from that, we would never give with anything but a smile. Let's look at this last one. We must commit to doing God's things God's way. This is the only way to attain God's results in our lives. We've got to do with God's stuff what God says. We can't take God's stuff and try to do our things with it and expect God's results. I've tried, it doesn't work. We've got to do with God's things what he says to get his results. And when we do this, it's going to look a lot like communion. It's going to look a lot like a laying down of our lives because of what Christ did for us. Because of what God did for us through his son. That's why we remember that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said to eat this in remembrance of him as often as we get together. Let's do it. And likewise, he took the cup and he said that this cup represents the covenant of blood shed for us and that as often as we get together, let's drink it in remembrance of him. Let me pray. God, we love you. You are so good to us. God, you give us abundantly more than we need or deserve. And we wrestle with hanging on to it like it was ours to begin with. God, your grace is amazing and your patience with us is amazing and we thank you for it, Lord. I pray that you would stir in us a desire to honor you with all that we have, money, resources, talents, time. God, that we would be joyful, extravagant givers with everything. We just pray this in Jesus' name, amen. We hope you've enjoyed this message from Real Life. If you'd like more information on who we are, what's happening in our church, and how you can get involved, visit us on Facebook and Twitter, and visit our website, liferotp.com.